You're listening to the Our Eerie Podcast with Marty Wachuku, Lydia Laith, and Devana Paisley. This series will bring citizens, entrepreneurs, activists, politicians, artists, and thought leaders to the table for a frank discussion around societal issues facing our post-industrial city and the United States at large. Take a seat. just talking about wine and this is a week that I know a lot of people were participating <laughs> in the wine and spirits what have y'all been drinking wine six dollar bottle of wine from Wegmans <laughs> uh not to promote them but it's like literally that's what I'm drinking <laughs> but if, if you want us to promote you <laughs> no, no really though it's ooh, I love me some Wegmans we were like literally they always have the and they're adding on like they're, oh, they just got like that nice new section there I, like in the wine section. I walked in there the other day. It was like the clouds parted and it was like, oh, and I was like, oh my God. Yes. It's like, you need this bottle. Like this is the, <laughs> yo. And then they have the nerve to put it near the cheese. I know. Near, like, uh-huh. They're like, I'm not like, this rich, but I've got brie and wine. And right. Coffee. Like what? So you're setting me up for a good night. Okay. That's and the bakery's like around the corner too. That's where I hit up first. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So dangerous. Me some Wegmans. Well, Wait. I go to, I go to Giant Eagle. They have like their nice little like local wine section. So that's where I always get stuff. Like Buster and I always get wine from there. Cause they yes. like local wine is so sweet. I love every single one. Um, but that's, I love Giant Eagle too. Back up there. It's right up the street for me. Yeah, I, I I mess with that. If I can't go to Wegmans, I will go to Giant Eagle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. COVID has changed my wine preferences. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, I was introduced, not introduced. I mean, I had it before, but I'm like, yes. <laughs> I was introduced to Merlot a few months before, like things went bad. But mm-hmm. since COVID, I've been drinking a lot of dry wines. I have not gone back to my Moscatos or Zinfandel. Really? uh-huh you become a hardened well you're shaking your head you don't <laughs> not a big fan of sweet wine I mean I okay so it would have to be like a really it has to be I don't know I had to be in the mood but mm-hmm. you're right I think I don't know if it's like you know when it comes I don't know if it's taste but after a while like I'm just like I need something dry so I'm really actually a big Riesling fan I really love me some Riesling but I will drink Pretty much any wine. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, but but I do drink a lot of Riesling. I don't know. Like, maybe that's pretty basic at this moment. I'm not like a super wine connoisseur, but I will drink that. That's so funny. So I'm like the exact opposite. Like, if the back of my like jaw is hurting because it's so sweet, like, then I know I've like found like a good one. <laughs> I'm terrible. I just know like my teeth are rotting from the inside out. My body's like this these are signs to let you know this is too much sugar and I'm like oh yeah (laughs) no like how I can't like I will literally get a stomach ache I don't know if it's like it's delicious it's like candy spiked candy Mm -hmm. it's dangerous it's like juice you're just like Mm -hmm. (laughs) so bad and surprisingly we were talking about Erie just having I mean not Erie but Pennsylvania in general is like very which is crazy I've not yet been to of it like a wine vineyard I've not yeah. been to any of the I really wanted to go to yes I know right I've never been to the wine vineyards I want to actually go to the wine every time 
it comes around where it's the what is it called every they do it at the bay the grape festival or the wine festival yeah like the one i've always missed the opportunity to go i don't know what is going on so yeah i would love to do the wine fest because i've never done it ever we ever. should we should this rule is just applies everywhere it's like you can live it doesn't matter where you live you as a person who lives there don't see those places that tourists go to or like someone right. from outside goes to huh so true I feel like we've already had that conversation with so many different people as far as like it takes an outsider coming in and saying like did you know this existed even for people that lived here for so long to say mm-hmm. like to look at it through someone else's eyes or to see something good about it you know through a different perspective so whether it's someone that grew up in a, in a bigger city and it's like can you appreciate the fact that you don't have traffic here or someone that grows up like for me growing up in Edinburgh where it's super rural and even just having people so close or people that think more like me up in ear like that to me is really exciting and so That's things that, yeah that you take for granted when you just are immersed in it all the time mm. and having someone it, be able to come in it changes as you live here though because whenever people so being in Pittsburgh and then when I graduated from school, having a job in the city, but living in the suburbs, traffic was a pain, like 40 minutes to an hour, just sitting in the car and not going anywhere. And then being in Erie has been like a blessing, not having to ever sit in traffic. But when people would be, would say like, oh, Edinburgh is so far away. It's 20 minutes. I'm like, 20 minutes was Penn Hills to East Liberty. 20 minutes, you get spend 20 minutes getting to anywhere in Pittsburgh, you know? Mm-hmm. So to hear people complain about it here was so weird. But now if someone's like, oh, you have to go to Edinburgh, I'm like, mm, it <laughs> feels like a trek now. <laughs> before it didn't. Before it did not. <laughs> oh, for that sure. is so true. Cause like now when I think about going into Edinburgh, I'm like, oh, let me let me plan this a day, a couple of days before. <laughs> it becomes like a day trip for people. It's so bizarre to me. Like I have to drive to Erie like almost like well, pre-COVID. I would drive to Erie like every day. And I made the like back and forth, no big deal. But then I'd be like, oh yeah, we could like meet in Edinburgh. And people are like, like they have to like pack their knapsack and <laughs> pack supply. Like I don't even understand. Like it's seriously not that it seriously probably takes the same to drive from like Fairview to Harbor Creek. It's so true. Drive from like the mall to Edinburgh, but people are like, oh, that's <laughs> like, ugh. it's so true. And I lived there. Like I'm like, why, Adwana, you lived in Edinburgh. You like you know better. Exactly. And I had to commute and work like back and forth. So I, I don't know why now though. It's like, it's so it's that thing you don't do it all the time now often so that, it's kind of out of sight out of mind so like mm-hmm. it does feel long but honestly when I drive it now I'm like oh it's not that bad but that and there's nothing in between like there oh, I'm not disrespecting the people who live in between Edinburgh and Erie <laughs> well, but, but like, even just like visual indicators visual, there's, like, no, there's no there's no where I'm cars, at, like, traffic it's just farms you know exactly so you like you're just stuck in time for a brief period of time trying to get from one place to another okay for sure i know when i have gone to edinburgh when i see the sign i'm like okay yes <laughs> the sign is there i'm close <laughs> like i know mccain and i know edinburgh and anything in between i could be literally anywhere on uh-huh. <laughs> like if you had me close your, my eyes and like put me somewhere i'd be like i don't i don't know i could be, <laughs> I could be anywhere and i've driven that for like the last 26 years mm-hmm. yeah it's wild no but i feel, i actually feel that since covid because i started working from home and now the concept of having to drive up to erie and i'm like oh i could i could work from home and only wear sweatpants and dress from the waist up for work 
and not have to go further than my couch. Listen, COVID has spoiled a little bit, it's like really has a little spoiled me a little bit, honestly. Like, I don't even know how I'm going to feel having to go back to work, like a physical space. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I don't know what that's necessary. Why should you go back to a physical space? Absolutely. I think it's actually showed too that a lot of jobs don't need, you don't need to be there. A lot of it was just more so being able to have eyes watch you. And I feel like now it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like now you have to actually trust that the person is doing their job. And if they're not, they're just not like, but I think now we're in a time where people need to look at business and how we do it and how it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think we've, technology has evolved so much and all, you see a lot of this with startup companies or even like um, that space uh, in Erie, the Erie um, radius cohort. Yeah. Radius cowork. Yes, so. Like the, that's already having an, and I think sometimes Erie is just like a little behind with trends because girl all the time, a little smaller, or we're just like a little slower to like catch on to things, which is like totally fine. No knocking yeah. on, on yeah. that at all. Um, but you see, like you would see stuff like that in Portland or Seattle or LA, like where yes. this is just commonplace working from home is like, of course you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and remote working. That, yeah. Remote working. Like that's a thing that people have been doing in a lot of these bigger cities. Yeah. Um, but I think it makes more sense with startups or, or newer companies or, or spaces where you're, you're structuring it in the current time versus an old established organization or group that has been there for so long. So pre the technology that allows them to do that, you did have to go into work because that's where your paper files were. And that's where the printer and the copier were. Mm -hmm. And that was the only space where you would have access to that information. Now files are online. I I have access to all my files on an online database. I don't have to go into the office. I can get all the information I need from my computer. So of course, why would I go into the office? Absolutely. And I like the idea, like you're right, of a co-working space. I think because Radius, they're pretty innovative on that here in Erie, being in mm-hmm. which I have a membership there and they are bomb because I've been, <laughs> no, really, they really are bomb. And I think, I don't know if a lot of people really do know that that's, that's, there's a space there, you know, and if not, they need to check it out because you're right. Like it's, it, what it does too, is it, it kind of like creates, well, it does, it creates a community and a collective. It's like, okay. And it also brings in different people because Radius doesn't just bring in Erie people. It has different people from all mm-hmm. walks of life coming here, doing business and then leaving and it's networking. And so I think mm-hmm. we're in this trend in, in Erie of like networking, collaborating and being in spaces that I think re- require people to kind of step out of their comfort zone and meet other people. And I like spaces like that. I think there Ivana, needs to be more created. Briefly describe for people who might not be familiar with like co-working, what Radius Cowork does. And also people should know Meville also has his own co-working space, the Foundry. What? Yeah, Meville's on it too. Yeah. Meville's actually very, very innovative. Honestly, I love That college town vibe, man. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there are there, like, I mean, Meville. So honestly, I should not even be shocked. That's, that's, that, that's, I get it. Mm -hmm. As far as a co-working space, so man, okay, I don't you want to put me on the spot when it comes to how <laughs> okay. So basically, when you think of the two words co-working, working with. So working in a space, um, a lot of what Radius does is a lot of their work with a lot of technical um workers. So like a lot of technical uh tech work, um, computer work, but they also do obviously all the things, but their space is more so for that. Like they have a podcast room, they have all different types of stuff there. Um, but they, that's what their focus is in, in building community and networking and, and creating a space for people to come. You have to have a membership. 
And honestly, you can also come not having membership. You can come and buy, you know, for that, for, for that day, you can come and, um, and what's it called? I guess have a couple hours of spending time while you're doing your work there. Um, but basically it's, a, it's, a, it's at the um, Renaissance in the, it's in the Renaissance building, um, which is downtown, very historical space that they decided to recreate, which is super, it's so dope up in there for real. Honestly, I'd say take a tour um, because at that, it, you have to just go see it. It's, I can't even talk about the space because you have to see the space. Um, but yeah, it's more so just a, a co-working space. And a lot of it is really wanting to network, wanting to build community involvement. And really there are a lot of champions behind, they're the champion behind a lot of networking and collaborating that does go on in Erie. Mm -hmm. And I will say that they, that space need, people need to utilize that space. Um, especially when it comes to COVID right now and, you know, being able to kind of take your own little cubicle space and really work in a space that you get out of your house and you can still go somewhere that's safe and that is socially distant. So I do have to put that out there because they actually really, they, they follow that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I've gotten for so far. I'm a new, I'm a new member, um, but they've had members that I've, that I've met that are literally there they have a schedule there, like a whole schedule every week um, that they come in, they do their work, you know, they, they come and talk with people and then they're like out in and out. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't yeah, utilized the space in a while, but it's dope. I think it's a really beautiful way of like merging the, the technology and the, and the evolution of work, how we are, like we were just saying, like working more remotely, um, which I think has the the potential to have a pitfall of isolation right if i can only work from if i can work from home then i never leave my house and i never see anyone which would be a huge problem and i think that a co-working space like radius can can take this this innovation around remote work but then also like meld it with communal work yes and absolutely. so it's not you're you're still working in an office setting but you don't all work for the same company right and so you're still getting that community you're still like you were saying like getting that networking getting that connection that we all like inherently need as human beings absolutely to connect with people um but like you're still able to do it in a really cool and creative and flexible absolutely. way that it adapts more i think to the changing mm -hmm. environment of the workforce right now you better say it and i think also too, just it really, when you think about it as a whole and an embodiment of our community, they're not just a space where it's just, you know, young tech workers. I mean, they have people ranging from the ages of, shoot, I, I think a lot, one of the oldest people I've seen were about seven in their seventies. Um, and I mean, the youngest all the way down to probably your teen, you know, t I would say at least high school. I mean, I'm not sorry, at least not high school, well, probably high school. I would say going into senior year, now that I'm thinking about it, like going into um, senior year and then high, you know, college years, I'm thinking about that. But like they have different range of people, you know, um, older, you know, you're younger, you know, black, white, I mean, and they're really honestly wanting to, to diversify more because I think oftentimes, you know, as a black woman, I was, I was still leery, like, okay, well, you know, I don't know, like, do black women come up in here, you know, and that's being real honest, like, you know, but I think, you know, cause you want a space that you feel welcome. You want a space that you feel like, okay, I can see myself here. I can see myself building relationships. And I think when you look at that, it's, it is a space that is diverse. And I think we need to really 
think about that place and value it. And that's not just the only place. There's co-working spaces here in Erie for, you know, mental health there, uh, mental health therapists. Um, you got the you got Thrive. I think it's called Thrive. Mm-hmm. They do the thing, same thing. They're they're a co-working space, but for therapists, for people who are working with the community on the mental health and behavioral health level. So I think creating a space for people in all in their own right and what they do is super important to cultivate you know, growth in the community, which is so super dope to me. Well, prior to COVID, um, well, back in normal life, you know, there were unofficial places like that, like coffee shops Mm -hmm. and libraries were those spaces where like you can show up and be in a space where you get work done and you're also in a room full of people who are also doing their own work. And um, later on, we're going to be talking to Hannah Kirby, who, you know, created one of those spaces here um, with Ember and Forge. But I think if I were in leadership right now, um, and I don't know what people are thinking, but I will want to see like, you know, COVID has shown us that you don't have to, like you're saying, work at a brick and mortar place. Nice. What kind of program could we create where we can say, okay, these companies, you have these huge workforces and they're all living on top of each other in a New York or a Los Angeles. What can you do to get some of those people to live here, but continue working for you, you know, right. help us out while helping you out while helping, you know give people space and room to be breathe and like you know adjust their cost of living and i also acknowledge like mm-hmm. when people move into smaller towns it also raises the cost of living in those smaller towns mm-hmm. that's something we'll talk about in a different episode okay. but um I just think we need to be doing something so that, you know, these small towns or small cities that are struggling, there's no reason for us to. We have a lot of space for people to live in. People used to live in these spaces. How can we bring back people here? Because, you know, remote work is a thing now. Right. Right. No, yeah. I mean, I think I've had that, that thought in two different contexts. The first was with Edinburgh University and the shifts happening there that as Edinburgh combines with like these other state schools, you know, what's going to happen to all these buildings that used to be occupied by like dorms or students or faculty that just are no longer there? Like, what are we going to use that space for that is a really beautiful, like Edinburgh's campus is beautiful and people would love to occupy that space and, and work there. And like, wouldn't that be a cool co-working space to be able to go to campus and like have an old professor's office that you can go right. sit in and do your work from? Or um, the, the other way I've just was thinking about it too was uh, there's this graphic that's been kind of shared and reshared all over social media uh, surrounding the the election specifically, but I think it, it goes anytime, but this idea that states don't vote, people do, and it'll show the United States hmm. with the red and blue states, but then yeah. every state will kind of shrink or grow with little dots to represent the population size. And it really shows you how a lot more progressive left-leaning thinkers all live in these really dense urban areas. And so what looks like a very small state is actually very large population. But then you see these large states in like, you know, the Midwest that then shrink to these little dots of people because they're just not densely populated. And so then you, you think like, okay, well, how could we create more purple states if we're thinking politically or thinking just like with diversity of thought, how could we create more diversity in these spaces? If we know people can work remotely, why couldn't Apple have a bunch of remote workers in Kansas? Why couldn't Google have people working in Iowa? Like, why can't we have a little bit more geographic diversity in that now that we know we can all work from home? Mm, I like that. Well, I think also thinking back on people who are creating spaces like that, they have experienced things outside of their own 
experience. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, when it comes to, you know, co- we can go back to co-radius, radius co-work. When you think about that space, that space was created by um, Sean, Sean Fedorko, who did not always live in Erie, moved somewhere else, you know, and made, you know, made networking of elsewhere, really was the person who brought that back with a, with a partner and they created the space. I think it does say something when you leave and, and, and then go learn something else, experience other things. And you can even experience other things in travel while you're still living in the city. I think people need to understand traveling doesn't always have to be physically. It could also mean in a book. It could be in, 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 uh, in Google. It can be podcast, podcast, listening to us. It can be in so many different areas. Traveling doesn't have to be obviously physical. We always talk. I always think about that. Um, But just that was a little segue into just just life experience, I guess. But experience is super important. I think bringing that back and saying, how can I take whatever I've learned and bring it back to the city and or bring it back to my area, the rural areas, wherever, and create a space, you know, that is for everyone or that can be for at least my my community because your community can look different in within the bigger, larger community. So, I mean, I like what you said that because I think that goes into just in general, like how people want to see the world continue to change and evolve. It's some, it just takes experience. It takes time. It takes learning and growing. This might be controversial, but do you think part of why Erie ha- is stuck or oftentimes what was it said here? Um, you know, it's like a decade delay yeah. is because they don't have like people either leaving and coming back because people leave and just leave, mm-hmm. you know, leave and coming back and or transplants moving in with those new ideas. What mm-hmm. do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all <laughs> those things. I mean, and that's not being, I don't, I mean, in my opinion, I don't think it's being controversial. I think it's being real that I think, mm-hmm. you know, I give you, I mean, I've talked to many people and even including in my family, there's been people who have not ever left out of Pennsylvania. So I think that, you know, when you talk about experiences, a lot of people who have not left and not done certain things, and that's not to shame them. That's not because it, I get it. Life happens. Things, people experience things so differently. You know, I was able and, 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 and privileged to be able to experience things elsewhere. But when I look at Erie as a whole, I do see from my own experience, a lack of, of, of knowledge of worldly things mm-hmm. of like other, like, you know, things that are actually like, I don't know, going on. I think, I don't know. And that's being, that's honestly being real. I think, you know, when I say traveling, you don't have to travel physically. Again, I'm going to reiterate that you don't have to travel physically outside of Erie. You can, we, me, my wife and I actually talk about Googling. You can literally Google a, a place and mm-hmm. just Google it and go there on your computer at home. You know what I'm saying? Grab some chips and do that. You know, just, I think looking, you can experience things outside of the norm. And I think it takes, again, us like doing podcasts and really putting this word out that I think, you know, it's, it will, it will change. But I think you're right. Like, I I do believe that Erie is a little behind, I believe by 10, 15 years, Mm -hmm. but also when you look at systems of power, you know, there are people who have been Behind, who have been in systems in, of power for, a, for some time. And I think, you know, sometimes there's a fear of passing a little bit of that down to somebody because of, you know, whatever that person has going on. I think there's just kind of like a fear of passing things on to the next person, you mm-hmm. know, and that's being real. 
That's been working <laughs> my nerves recently, though, because a lot of these people, you know, I speak frankly, yeah. a lot of these people who are in power that often talk down about young people's involvement in politics or when we are involved, talk down about yeah. our ideals and what we're trying to get accomplished. Great amount of them got into leadership around our age or only a few years younger than or older than us. Absolutely. And they're still in power. So it's like, right. how can you talk about us and what we want to get done? But you literally were us and you're just standing in our way. You're literally yeah. not allowing us um, the right to take up that space. Right. That's not to say and that I, young people don't try. Right. And right. I think, you know, I think for me, when I, from my, what I, what I see, I think there's like a little bit of fear. I think a lot of us move in fear very we don't realize fear has really is really um i guess gotten a hold of people and when it comes to growing and changing but i believe that i don't know i feel like sometimes there's fear of things being passed down because fear of did i do this right did i do it this well enough right or, um or was i am i capable enough to even do that i don't know i don't know what do you think no where like you hear those chants with like those guys with the tiki torches when they're saying like Jews will not replace us or whatever. Like this God. idea of being replaced and forgotten. I think we yes. as a as a country and I think as like a U.S. culture in general have become so afraid of death, of yeah. aging, of irrelevance, oh, yeah, being forgotten. And so we're so obsessed whether it's documenting our life on social media or holding on to power as long as we can or not being replaced by some other group of people yeah. that we feel like will will make us less relevant to society. Like of course white men feel threatened when we acknowledge that they're white men and that they've yes. been in power for a long time because for a, a long time, like they were just relevant, right? Like white men were every president ever. And, and that made you relevant that you, you could see yourself in every space. And now that we're challenging that, that's really scary. Cause now am I relevant? Do I actually, am I actually qualified? Like you said, like, am I actually competent at this or yeah. was I just accepted because they assumed I was competent and I'm not right. actually deserving of this or, you know, and that's it. That's, it. that's tough internal struggles to have that if no one has ever had to, to deal with that, that would be really scary, especially if you're 60 years old and this is the yeah. first time you've had to have that internal dialogue. Yeah. And you know, to like, to be fair, let, uh, you know, we don't know what, it, I, I mean, I know what it feels like to get older, but we don't know what it feels like to be in your sixties and your seventies mm -hmm. or even in your fifties. We don't know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. I do know what we don't what we, I believe that we don't as a society really do is kind of respect our elders mm -hmm. um, in a way of, you know, we look at getting older, like you said, Lydia, mm -hmm. as kind of like this like negative thing, but getting older is a rite of passage mm -hmm. and it's a right of you've experienced life in your own way with through your experience and what do you have to offer? Because I think we need to be okay with sitting down with people who are older than us and learning from them and listening to them and it doesn't mean taking the same things that they did. Mm -hmm. It means learning and listening. Because I've listened to a lot of older folk and I'm like, oh, I know I'm not ever going to do that. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Wisdom doesn't mean always having had the answer. Wisdom you better say learning it. from what you did. Okay, Absolutely. exactly. So I'm very observant when I see, you know, when I look at my family, when I look at my friends, when I look at what older people are doing, when I even look at younger people, like what I, I learn and I take from that and say, okay, well, what are some pieces that I can learn from that? What are some pieces I can let go or leave? And I think- but we just don't value, you know, getting older. We don't value that rite of passage of being, of getting into the level of 
This is now you're an older person. You're, you're the elder. We're going to look at the elders for the elders. We're not in that. I don't know. We don't do that as Americans. I don't know if we value older people as, as we do as, as much as we do think we do. Culturally speaking, but I feel personally, and it might not be relevant to the conversation, I've always looked forward to being 65. I've said to people, I want to be 65 because I feel like people who are older get to say whatever they want and do whatever (laughs) they want. Me at 27 years old, if I speak my mind like I actually think it, I'm going to get in trouble. And people are going to be like, you can't say that. You can't think that. But me at 65 year old, unstoppable. And I look forward to that day. And that's a shame because again, it's kind of ages. We shouldn't be able to say what we feel and how we feel, you know, at any age, like little kids, I look at little kids. I'm like, they say whatever they want. Why (laughs) is it that when we get to like sit, well, let's say 10, (laughs) how we cannot be your parent. Right. Like, no, shut up. I don't want to hear what you got to say. I'm your parent. And then from there forward, it's just like, you're a young person. You haven't lived my experiences. So basically we don't, everybody just doesn't respect anybody. That's No, No, but I do think that there's something to be said about the way we deal with aging and dying though, too. Like think about Mm -hmm. where like historically people would die in their own homes. You would age, people would take care of you. Your family would take care of you. You would die in your own bed, in your own home, and your family would have been caring for you. In so many spaces, that's not the norm anymore. Like in so many spaces, it's you get taken to a nursing home or you're in an assisted living facility or something. Like it's, from my perspective, it seems a lot less common for people to actually age in their home cared for by their family. I agree. And I think that that makes us more afraid and the right. Cause we see it happening to other people getting just kind of like thrown by the wayside. And so I think whether people are aware of it or not, I think that kind of can irk people and, and can push them to like cling to power in a really unhealthy way where they could really be passing the torch or helping share their wisdom, but they're not, they're like, so just like white knuckling. Yeah. <laughs> the the power wow hmm that's an interesting take that's an interesting take you're right we've hmm. really industrialized everything haven't we mm-hmm. yeah even getting old and death is like this big you know money-making system mm-hmm. right yeah we've like we've become very efficient mm-hmm. and less human in the process mm-hmm. and i think that that is scary and you know, whether, whether you want to blame the industrial revolution or, or capitalism or whatever you want to, you know, wherever you want to place the blame, I do think that there's a lot of systemic issues that, that contribute to that. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we break up, take a break y'all and come back and talk about the elections? Hell Yeah. All right. So it's no secret. I I think we started this conversation by saying that we've been dealing with the stress of the election Mm. uh, in a lot of different ways. So I think uh, it goes without saying that like this election has been historic and unprecedented, unprecedented in so many different ways. Um, And we're really having to deal with 
a lot of issues coming to a head, whether they are political, like systemic issues in campaign policy and in and how we elect people, or if it's in systemic issues like we've talked about already, like racism and sexism and and um, and those kind of bigger issues. But I feel like this, for me at least, it's like the this almost overwhelming cross-section of all these different issues that are so much bigger than me <laughs> coming mm-hmm. to a point and trying to figure out, okay, what can I handle? What can't I handle? And how do I fit into this like bigger puzzle uh, in like a meaningful way where I can make a difference, but also not like hurt myself in the process? How are you guys feeling? Facts, because that's where, I mean, just as far as... <clears throat> protests and whatnot this the whole last couple months with protests going on I really didn't feel called to go personally just because I felt like when I do protests I feel like I'm like okay I want to do more though like I know that they're obviously you know collective having more people it creates more voice and more power I do understand that part but I think I'm in a different space in life where I'm like, okay, I'm out here, but what can we do to make some change that would be on the end of, we're taking this protest power, we're taking the power of the people, and we're going to implement it in this way. That's kind of where I'm at. I was like, okay, what's the implementation that I can do? What is it? What is it that I can do to kind of like take this fire and this passion? That's just myself as in general. Like I'm like that type where I'm like, let me take the passion, the fire of people and figure out how I can spit that out in a different way Mm -hmm. and for me in a more creative way um so that's kind of like why I did not Mm -hmm. because I felt a lot of guilt around protest Mm -hmm. and around like okay well if you say you're a person who's about the community that's being real honest if you say your person's about the community about wanting to create change then why are you not going down to these protests why are you not putting yourself out there your your body's out there Mm -hmm. your body out there and I think for me I'm gonna go and listen to that ancestor be like listen sis we done did that part now you need to be safe. And so you can do things in your way. And I think that's just how I looked at it for my, that's what I looked at and it's how I did it for myself. Um, and on top of that, COVID was also happening. You know what I'm saying? But oh, for sure. I mean, that's a whole, I get it. That's a whole different thing. I know people are like, well, then don't, you can't be fearful. No, I was being cautious. There's a difference, you know? So I think for me, I looked at it. That's just what I've kind of looked at for myself around protesting. How about you, Marty? Um, for me, as terrible as this year has been for all of us, I feel like this year has displayed all the different ways that it means to be a citizen. Mm. You know, between this yes. big, really important historical election happening, and then from June until now in a lot of cities that are bigger than us, um, protests that have been going on around police brutality, police brutality and police accountability, as well as beyond being in the streets, the actions that people have taken by showing up to city hall Mm -hmm. and showing up to some of these police, if they have them, police review boards or police reviewing bodies and writing letters and making calls and calling senators and some places actually instituting change. So like Hmm. being in the street and lobbying legislators to make actual change. And then this week watching a national election where like, you know, it shows like where people are this whole year of 2020 has showed us like what it means to be a citizen Mm -hmm. and you know as much as i want every single person to vote it's also shown us there's so many different ways you can participate and voting is not the only way to do it um 
and it was long and tiring and it's not over it's never over but um i am really happy for at least you know this presidential race to be at an end at this point so those of us you know who are always focused on the local work and the institutional work can go back to that in a deeper way than that we have been in these last few months Mm -hmm. and to work and bring more people into that because you know whether it's because of the protests or these national elections more people are paying attention so Mm -hmm. this is an opportunity for us right now to bring more people in and create more change so um, I'm happy for that and tired and we need to have a conversation about resting because like with you Devonna I was with you um I I'm I love a march actually I love to be out yes. but as an immune compromised person in June when this was first happening and you know the Erie, the numbers in Aries weren't as bad as they are currently this week right. of November third but I didn't feel safe to be out in the streets and I felt that was my prerogative not to be in the street right. and I, it was actively doing other things to help the movement so absolutely I don't feel like you need to feel guilty for Mm-mm. you know not marching. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely not. And there is a very real, th- like, life-threatening force, whether it's COVID or police brutality. Like, the, there are very real reasons for you to be afraid to go participate Heck in yeah. this. And so, like, there should be, yeah, yeah, absolutely no guilt that, like, you are totally justified. And I think that that, like, you hit it right on the head as far as, like, what are we okay with? Where are we, where are our strengths best suited and where do we feel safest and and not that we can't be pushed outside our comfort zone but also like where can we protect ourselves because at the end of the day like if you don't have something to work for then why are you doing any of it you know like so from yeah for myself like early in the summer um my stepson Benji was in town and so I was spending all my free time with him and I wasn't gonna go put myself in danger or put myself at risk of contracting COVID while I had him here um because at the end of the day I'm doing this for him and I'm doing it for my family, but I like, he is a, a young biracial little boy who will grow up and potentially someday be affected by police brutality or systemic racism or, or racial profiling, you know? And if, if one summer he has his hood up, like that could be the difference between life and death for him. So this is like, so if, if I can't also see that my time with him is so important and he's the reason why I'm doing this. Right and and balance that with the need to to be active and doing it like then what's the point if I'm just always out there doing something and not embracing like this is the reason why you better say it you better and this work will burn you out fast Mm -hmm. and that's why I I felt in the summer that you know before this I've been at marches I've been at rallies I'm doing film things I'm doing that and this is a time for new a lot of new voices and faces stepped up in area that I'm really proud of I'm like you know what let them take this shine and take yes. this forward this is not my moment right then now let that be them yes. so like we all need to recognize when we need to take care of ourselves and also recognize when people are stepping up and let them shine and step up and when they're capable of carrying that torch for a while and like when I can rejoin them later or help inform their action as well. But yeah, I think you're totally right that there are plenty of people capable of this and we need to be identifying and encouraging them to also join and lead mm. because I think so many people are like, oh, I'll join. Like I s- experienced this with the walk in Edinburgh. They're like, oh, I would never organize this myself, but I'll come and I'll join the walk you know, and I'll walk with you, which like, great. But there, I'm sure there are countless people that joined in the walk that could easily have led it. And it felt like it, no one was going to if I didn't. And that's not a place that we should be at. Like there should be a network of people where we know 
if I don't do this, someone else will. Like mm-hmm. we all are in this together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and I think too, it, it reminds me of like conversations I've had with people about the purpose of protest too. Because mm-hmm. I think some people, if they don't have an education or awareness around how certain political systems work, they think that the protest is going to create the change. They think, oh, if we yell loud enough outside here in Perry Square, the elected official will see it and they'll change their mind. Right. And that absolutely, <laughs> I would say 99% of the time is not how it works. Mm-hmm. If anything, it makes people dig their heels in more. If that's if you go into a protest thinking this is going to change that elected official's mind that I'm yelling at that's not right. Right. Not how it works. Protest, depending on like the situation, this summer was a different situation, but protest, um, if you're like working on a campaign to change an issue, it's like the last resort. Mm -hmm. Say you want to, you know, zone a certain part of the city to be affordable housing. So you get your coalition of people together and we say, we're going to rally together and get affordable housing. So then you write up the legislation you want for affordable mm-hmm. housing and then you go to your legislators and you get three of them on your side but there's three more who aren't on your side and then one of them flips or something to that effect you and you keep calling you keep on meeting you keep calling you keep on meeting and then you move one but you don't move one the protest comes when you have hit a wall there's nowhere yes. else to go so you need to bring the public and the news and the media in there to put public pressure <coughs> that's when the protest mm-hmm. um really puts pressure on people. Absolutely. But with the situation in June with the police brutality, you know, it served as a way of creating awareness in the community. It served as a way of creating accountability. We're in your face in front of, you know, City Hall. What are you going to do about it? There's mm-hmm. different reasons for protesting, but don't expect protesting to be the thing that changes it. There's work that has to go with it. So much. Yeah. There's so much going on behind the scenes that I think people don't realize, especially people that aren't involved even in the protests themselves, right? Like I, I remember so many times when we would do different actions outside of like Mike Kelly's office or something where people would be like, oh, you know, go get a job or something. Cause they think that we were like protesting, <laughs> like, but they didn't realize that like behind this was, were people's jobs, like community right. organizers that are actually doing this as their job and who like, there's so much work going on behind the scenes that this is just the one visible thing. But I think visibility is so important. And that like for myself, like in Edinburgh, like the March for me was a lot more about visibility and, and creating more awareness because what I saw was silence where mm-hmm. conversations weren't happening, where people were saying, this doesn't happen here. And I said, okay, if it doesn't happen here, then let's just make sure we're clear. And we're saying to people, this won't happen here. This isn't, we're not going to let this happen here. That So people know, you know, I, I see so many different students coming to campus that don't look like me, that aren't white, that aren't blonde hair, blue eyes that come to campus. And who knows what they think when they walk on campus and they see all these you know, rural folks, do they just assume that this isn't going to happen here? Or do they look at us and think, I don't know where they stand. I don't know if they would come to my defense. I don't know if they assume all the worst about me just because of how I look. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that adds to add to that, that's very like one dimensional to look at things, because I think when you look at somebody and you see them with uh, a sign Mm -hmm. outside on a sidewalk protesting against whatever, a corporation, the uh, whatever, I think that people automatically, like you said, people automatically assume, well, they don't have a job or they don't this, they don't that. It's mm-hmm. like, you're looking at one thing mm-hmm. and you're not even thinking, well, does this person, like you're not thinking about all the other attributes in or our things into this situation. So that's very one dimensional though. And I, but looking at protests, it's not a one dimensional thing that mm-hmm. protest 
also help people who are working in in public spaces. Mm-hmm. It helps organizers. It all is something that is very cyclical that works together. Mm-hmm. And so without one, one wouldn't work without the other. And I think there's beauty that we saw this whole entire year in 2020, we saw all different types of systems work in a, in a way where not systems work. We saw all different types of different, I guess, diverse forms of protest because mm-hmm. protest doesn't just look like picket signs outside. It looks mm-hmm. that's different. Protests look like so many different things, but I think that's just, to, I'm trying to get my mind with my mind, like thinking around the mm-hmm. fact that everything works together. It doesn't work separate. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Does that like, that makes, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like in Erie, um, there were marches, but then for a few weeks, they were kneeling in front of the courthouse silently as a way of, not the courthouse, city hall as a way of protest, you know? Mm-hmm. Different ways to do it. That's true. Mm-hmm. But protest also can serve, like if you have an ally somewhere on a certain government body and they're the only voice speaking up for change, when the community comes out and says, we agree that this needs to change, it gives them more power to push mm-hmm. the needle in that body of government already mm-hmm. said. Right, right, right. For sure. Yeah. There's so many powerful tools that we can be using. And yeah, I think to just go back to it, like whether it's, it's protesting or, or having meetings with elected officials, because you can do well in one-on-one conversations or whether it's creating space for these conversations to have. And like we talked about creating spaces for people to gather like a coffee shop or like a, a working space, right? That like creating space is also creating space for people can be a pretty rebellious or revolutionary act in and of itself, right? That this, the fact that we have a space, the fact that we have a podcast that we can talk to and and talk within about these issues is pretty revolutionary in some, in some aspects as well, you know? And I think that, that all of this, you know, wherever people feel they can, I think we all have a role to play. And like you were just saying, Devon, like it all helps. It all helps. It It all helps shift the needle towards progress, towards growth, towards a more inclusive, diverse, loving community. Um, but we just have to be committed to doing that and not giving up and, and taking breaks when we need it and resting when we need it and protecting ourselves when we need it. But that like never giving up. Yes. Mm-hmm. But when protesting and lobbying and writing letters and public pressure don't work, we got to get some people out of office. And that's what we came together nationally to do this week. So how are y'all feeling about, you know, the big election? Mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I like, I cautiously optimistic was the word I was using quite a bit. Um, So exhausted that I'm a little numb was another (laughs) kind of phrase I was using a lot of like, Uh I'm calm, but not in a calm where I'm like, zen because I've chosen to be but almost like I've just worked so hard that I'm so exhausted I just like crashed um that's how I'm feeling well you should tell folks like what you were doing during the election so I was helping um Christy Ganibus's campaign for congress and so I was helping uh get her you know just connected to more folks just doing really boots on the ground you know making calls knocking doors things like that um but that was like when I wasn't working <laughs> my other jobs, I was doing that until, you know, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. So just lots of stuff. But again, it's just like what you can do, you know, 
And Marty, I mean, you were doing lots of stuff too, though. Like you were doing exactly what I was doing, except you were doing it like 24 seven, pretty much. Right. I mean, you were organizing all day, was, every day. Yeah. I was coordinating, you know? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I work like people may know for Erie County United, but we're part of a greater organization with a whole bunch of other counties. And we were all, you know, helping facilitate some awesome volunteers, one including the Hannah Kirby, who we're going to be talking about later, yes. um, who hosted phone banks every Tuesday with um, her partner ne- or her phone banking partner, Nisi, um, as well as text banking and deep canvassing, which it's a fancy way of saying we were having a lot of persuasion conversations, trying to swing a lot of votes. And we were doing that from August until, you know, this past Monday. Um, so it was grueling. We made over 600,000 calls. I don't remember how many texts we sent, but um, we did a lot and we flipped the county blue. So, yes. I mean, yeah. along with, you know, Ganebus was doing her work. Ganebus's team was doing her work. Slomsky was doing her work. The Dems were doing her work. It was a whole, we can't all communicate with each other mm-hmm. because of, you know, legal stuff that we can get into with some other expert on a different episode but um yeah there was a lot of work in teams mm-hmm. um this election so we're all i'm tired i want to not talk to anyone for the rest of the, <laughs> the year but that's not possible because when do you think we'll know it's done i said it was done tuesday night yeah <laughs> not official i already had a feeling that things were going to go the way that they were like, I'm one of those people. I don't know. I really felt like, feel like I see, can see things like, no, I'm not trying to say I could see in the future, but I'm just saying like, you see patterns, you can see mm-hmm. how things working out. And I just felt like, I don't know. I wasn't super shocked and super surprised, but I don't know if I'm just like you said, Lydia, am I numb? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like I'm kind of just, I'm here mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. I don't, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, because I also feel like there's still going to be work to do. And like, I, I think this has probably been brought up on every social media and every conversation I've had with people when it comes to this election. But like, there is still work to do either yeah. way, no matter what happens. You know, if if people start protesting in the streets, like Trump supporters that think that this election was a fraud, like there will be work to do to bring the community back together. Yeah. You know, if Biden wins and there's no other issues and and kind of things go back to normal we still need we have a lot of work to do on systemic issues and on campaign finance and, and you know all these issues that we've addressed before that like they don't just go away just because now we have a safer older white man in power yeah and I think you know regardless of the outcome I think people need to realize that things are not going to go back to normal and I've realized I think that I'm also realizing that what does that look like? What does normal mean? Mm-hmm. And what what does that necessarily look like? And I, I think people don't really know because the only thing that looks normal is not wearing that masks again. Mm-hmm. But that would be like, you know what I'm saying? That's the only physical thing that we were seeing that we had to do was change. People would say is social distancing and the masks. Mm-hmm. But other than like, when it comes to like COVID being ending, mm-hmm. well, I'm referring to COVID, I think we're looking at a, a, in general, whole change of how we're going to be doing things from 2021 to then future. Mm-hmm. Like I, there's no way we're going back to normal, quote unquote. I, I there's no way. I don't. There's no way. I don't know why people. We need to stop saying that. Hmm? I'm about to disagree with you and say that's a progressive 
frame of view because I don't know. I'm because I've been seeing in response to um, you know, some of these seats that Democrats have lost in the Congress and Senate mm-hmm. that they're bl- bl- blaming, you know, progressive people mm-hmm. on progressive ideology ideology mm-hmm. um, for those seats being lost, and they're trying to push us back to whatever their normal was. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we can go back to pre-COVID normal, but I think there are leaders who have been in leadership for a long time that would like us to go back to their normal. Yes. And where the work that Lydia is talking about being done is us fighting them, trying to bring us back to that normal because that normal got us Trump. Right. That's so, true. That's right. true. For sure. Well, I almost I have to understand a, perspective. I have this feeling that we might see a pretty big political like partisan shift because I feel like the Republican party that so many people grew up in is not the Republican party that we see like Trump's Trump Republicans mm-hmm. are like a scary scary ultra far right version of that and so what has happened is if you like we think of it as a spectrum it used to be Republican and Democrat and you had moderates in the middle and now what's happened is like this far right movement has shifted this narrative so now the middle is no longer here in the middle but it's like here's the far right so now the like far left (laughs) has become more moderate so now we see a lot of these quote-unquote moderate conservatives and democrats that are now having to shift further right to be more considered Mm -hmm. moderate in this like spectrum Mm -hmm. and we're being positioned as being these like far left progressive radical people when really we are just advocating for everything that that the democrat democratic progressive party has always advocated for Mm -hmm. as far as taking care of people um and and but because of this like bigger shift and and almost like the the broadening of the political spectrum it's Mm -hmm. seen as like now we're somehow outside of the norm but why is it that it seems the Democrats are more willing to cater to the right side and like making themselves more conservative than mm-hmm. catering to the left side, which is browner, younger, mm-hmm. more queer? I don't I know what it is. I guess I want someone to say what it is. Religion? <laughs> I don't I think it has to do with I mean, <clears throat> obviously. And I think I read this like white people are still the majority in like a lot of the voting spaces and a lot of white people have a lot of issues to unpack and so if you're trying to cater to racist sexist white people then you might steer more conservative I also think that if you're trying to well I also think historically like we have not seen voter turnout like we have either so I think you you see young people not turning out as much so appealing to a more conservative older crowd makes mm. sense because those are your your all always voters um i don't know I marty what do you that, but why do you so the clock of time ticks and ticks and ticks those older voters that you're catering to now and next year and forever they're eventually going to pass on so like what is going to be left of our democracy we're not like working on getting out those younger people those browner people and it's not to even say that those people can't be turned out because the numbers we're seeing and we're we're recording this on friday i should let people know friday um after the election the numbers we're seeing in georgia right now is the work of people you know trying to fight 
yes um, the systems to fight voter suppression and actually doing the conversations and the door-to-door to turn out more black people more young people that doesn't that's when you invest time and work into it it doesn't happen overnight it doesn't happen accidentally it doesn't happen by bashing those groups of people for for not participating you have to do the work for those people to show up and that work seeing georgia means that that can be replicated in alabama which is very black mississippi which is very black texas that has huge you know democratic strongholds with their major cities is not impossible so yeah. I kind of don't agree with the statement that like, um, you know, they have to just keep catering to old white voters. It's not true. The voters are there. You just have to get the work to get them to turn out. Mm-hmm. Right. No, but I think that that's precisely why they won't because they have to do mm-hmm. the work and they want an easy solution and they want things. I also think that it's easier when like, uh, like they, I mean, I, I don't know if this is a stretch, but the same people that want to say like, oh, I don't see color, right? Like colorblind racism is born mm-hmm. out of people that are probably good hearted for the most part, but they also want an easy out. They want an easy answer that allows them not to have to confront their own internal issues or their own systemic issues that put them where they are. So instead of saying, okay, yeah, we have really some big systemic issues to address. I'll just say, oh, I don't see color or, oh, that's too, that's too radical, right? That's their easy answer to say, no, let's go back to the, the, the status quo, the way things were when, you know, Bob Casey and Pat Toomey could have a little soccer football game out on the, the lawn and be buddy, buddy, and didn't have to deal with these big systemic issues that are now polarizing people like that, you know, because at the end of the day, a lot of these people were benefiting from this, the system, the way it was, mm-hmm. especially a lot of these like older white men, but it's not just older white men. I mean, there's plenty of other people that have different identities that also still were benefiting from the system because they became that token woman or the token black guy or the token gay guy or whatever that looks like. Like they, they were able to still like defy the odds and get to that space. And because they got there, then they don't need to change the system because it worked out for them. Mm-hmm. So I think it goes back to this like whole like clutching onto power with everything that they have. I think that there's an issue with people. They don't want to create systemic change because change is scary. They can't mm-hmm. predict how that's going to turn out. And it, it jeopardizes their position and power and, and relevance. Right. And I think, you know, just in general, when we say change, we really do, we really, really want change because I mean, we look at as much as I really wasn't the biggest Bernie supporter. Um, But I will say that, you know, with Bernie Sanders, what he wanted to do was no different than what we look and see what, you know, some some Democrats are wanting to, um, I would say, continue on. And it kind of like it makes you think like it's kind of this reminds me of sports. Like, is this all rigged? Is this the way that it's supposed to be? Because this is just what it is, because at the end of the day, we're sitting here having to decide between two old white males when that's has, that's been the norm for so long. And so when I say things are changing, I believe we can't go back to normal. I believe that this time we're starting to see kind of like people realize like these were our two options. Come on. This has got to be now. Yeah. We got to now change the, we got to change some stuff. I'm, I'm really trying to be hopeful with the fact that, there will be soon another person of color that will be a, a, a person of color, whoever it will be, 
Mm-hmm. the next president after four years. I'm, I'm really interested to see that. I'm interested to see the next four years, how this all plays out, who decides to run in the next four years. I mean, not to take us super to the future, but I just, has this changed anybody's mind? Because we're still having to vote for two people that mm-hmm. were just not really. Right. Well, this changed, sorry, Lydia, to cut you off. You want to go? But this changed the circumstances like we talked about maybe last week or sometime recently, the circumstances for which we can organize and the environment for which we organize. Mm-hmm. Yes, Biden is not, you know, our dream president. Yeah. He can even say there's such a thing as a dream president, but he's a person who's going to stop this negative change that Trump was creating and the harm that Trump was doing so that we can get that better person, like you yeah. said, in Nirvana. Um, in the next four years. And right. I personally, even though it has not been officially called, I it's crazy. I feel like a cloud, like a dark cloud that has been hanging over me mm-hmm. the last four years has lifted. Like mm-hmm. there isn't, I guess there's a fence, sense of fear that has always lived there yeah. because he's being do, he's doing this to this group or he's yeah. doing this to this group and I might be next or a friend might be next or mm-hmm. we might go to war. That... I mean, there, after it it's could be possible to see the response yeah. um, of his supporters. But right now I'm feeling hope. Yeah. And I, I don't think I've felt, felt that hope mm-hmm. in That's a long time. Want. It's not simply think, because of Biden. Right. But like we have the opportunity to actually change things. Right. So. Right. And I, you know, I think when it comes to that, you're right. Like we, I mean, I, I don't want to, I personally don't want to bank on one individual and being our president that he's, that things are going to go change and be all great and fine and dandy. It's not. Um, but I think that you're right. Like it gave us a little bit of hope. It gave, it gives me a little bit more like reassurance. Like, okay, the people are being heard. We're being listened to. Cause honestly, at this point, it's just like, all right, cool Biden. But like, I'm more so more impacted by the fact that people came out and they were like, listen, we're about to vote. People mm-hmm. were organizing text. I'm talking about, I know as much as it was annoying text messages I was getting when it came to, are you voting? I was like, listen, yes, I am. Thank you for texting me. I appreciate the work you're doing because at the end of the day, people were out there fighting at this point, using their using their power in the ways that they could use it to create this change that we're about to see and I think it's interesting because that's all that's what we talk about that's what democracy should be you know what I'm saying like it working people working it you know I but and let me clarify I'm not I don't want a person of color in the next four years like when it comes to me wanting a person of color or whatever I don't want it just because it's a person of color when I look at people who are doing great work who are um, wanting to see change. I think I, I literally think of the squad. The squad mm-hmm. has collectively worked together in all their different areas of where they're at to say, we're going to work together as a group of women from all different backgrounds of life. And we're going to do our dang thing. And I'm saying that's how we should really be looking at the next people that we want as leaders into our country of our country. We need to be looking at people who will work together and organize, put their differences aside and figure out how they can create a platform that will be beneficial for everybody. Because when you think about, you know, and not to get all in the green new deal, but when you think about the green new deal and what it wanted, it was not necessarily just about climate change. It was more so about system as a whole. And really I hope that somebody would take those things and implement whatever it would be to see us be more equitable in our country because there's nothing, I see capitalism being a problem. People are talking about that, but 
I understand that, you know, in my own perspective, when it comes to capitalism, I believe that it can work in a way where it's for everybody and not just for a few. And so we think if we're thinking about we want money, we think that we want our society to work and benefit, it should benefit everybody. It should benefit people who are here, who are working every day. And so that's why I look at the platforms of like Christy Genevis and, you know, the squad and just young people who are really wanting to create a system that works for all. How can you like, how I'm sitting here, like, how can you fight against that? That doesn't even make any sense to me. Like, but I guess I am progressive in that way. Like, good Lord. Like, come you square on. up against young progressive people. It just is exhausting. So just as much as y'all exhausted about us young people, we exhausted. Okay? We're tired. We're tired. We want change. Okay. So this is going to happen. And we're just starting <laughs> our lives, you know, like, how are we this tired? And we're like, we've only existed for a blink and we're exhausted. I've been tired. Okay. We've, I've always been a wise kid too. I'm sure each and every one of you have been tired because you've been seeing since you were 10, probably you're experiencing life and observing. Like I've been tired. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> like I'm sitting here like okay I'm older now so now I can say how I feel like <laughs> you sound like an 80 year old woman <laughs> oh shoot <laughs> but you're right I mean I think that there's just so many issues and I think you're right I mean going back to like the whole like is it rigged I think people okay. get hung up on like the rigged piece because they think of it being like intentionally unfair I don't think it was created intentionally to be no. this like malicious thing, but at the end of the day, this system, this democracy that we live in was created by white men who owned slaves and believed that that was justified by their religion to do that. <laughs> Period. When you feel yeah. like so what you, the heck? You can't say that somehow the, the constitution that they wrote or the declarations that they wrote or these ideas that they wrote are somehow like holier than thou and better than the ideas we would come up with today. Like they had flaws and that's okay. We can take the good with the bad, but we really need to like understand that the system is messed up. The system has issues and we need to change it, which is why we protest, which is why we organize, which is why we vote. Uh, but like, yeah, it has to change. It has to change. I always say, why is it that every two weeks my phone is trying to update and interrupt me watching a YouTube video? <laughs> We're still working off of this 200 plus year old document. Everything else in this world updates like this, but we're okay. like, we're going to not change this thing. Mm -hmm. The population has changed. The people right. who are, you know, educated has changed. So much has changed and will continue to change. And we're just like, nope, we're not going to change it to adjust to the people who need things now. And fun fact, one of the founding fathers who wrote this, Thomas Jefferson, he act like literally said that that's not okay. He said not adopting the the like the the measures of our government would be like not changing the size of your pants mm -hmm. as you get older. It'd be like wearing a child's pants as an adult. He literally said, I can find the quote somewhere. Like, but he said he likened it to wearing pants that are too small. Like, yeah, of course it makes no fucking sense. Like, of oh, course no. you need to adapt as the times change. And even they, even, even Thomas freaking Jefferson who owned slaves <laughs> and who is like his own issue in and of himself. Even oh, he understood goodness. that the government has to adapt to the times. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't, that's, that's so true. Oh, I can't. I mean, but we also understand that a lot of the, our country foundation was, 
stolen and then mm-hmm. ideas were stolen and brought here <laughs> so everything was just stolen so right. Stolen. Land stolen, right like let's talk about indigenous people like mm. a lot of blood it's crazy a lot it, of blood and death led to this country yeah. and still we're like please stop killing people on the streets they're like nope yeah that's a mouthful it's crazy right i feel like you know you know as it's funny because like i often question you know what does an American look like? What is it? What does that mean to me? Mm-hmm. What does being an American mean to me? Um, which is crazy because now that I'm saying that out loud, what does that truly mean? Like, I mean, I'm not where that's a rhetorical thing. So let's think about that. And I'm maybe come, we'll come back to that later on Good as talk. another segment, but really I'm, I'm starting to think about like, what does that look like? What does that mean to me? Because, you know, it's deep. That's like, you know, I'm an African-American person live in America who's born here. But when I'm as a 33 going in on 33, I really have been going through like this spiritual journey of like, okay, but who am I outside? Well, I know, but like, when you think about all those questions of when you're growing, you think, who am I without all that, that title of American, without that title of being black, without the title of just all the titles who are you? You know, and I think, you know, when I think about being American, I think of all these cliche things because I really believe that I don't, I know this is going to be controversial, but I believe that America literally has no identity of their own. So I think when you have no identity of your own, you're going to have strife. You're going to have problems. You're going to have bloodshed. You're going to have all these things that are going to create issues because you have no identity of your own. So I think a lot of people are trying to, when people find an identity or when they connect to something, they want to hold tight to that. If you're a racist, you want to hold tight to whatever your ideals are. If you're a person who's a progressive, you want to hold tight to your progressive views. If you're a person who's democratic, whatever, you want to hold on to those feelings because you want some form of identity. And I think when I look at being an American, I do think about, but what is our identity? What does that look like? We're literally fighting for the identity of our country. Mm -hmm. I never think about that. It's deep. I mean, I don't know how, I mean, it could go, we can go way more deeper than that, but I I really think about that. And I'm just like, what does that look like? Oh my gosh. That's absolutely. Okay. Tune in, in a future episode (laughs) where we unpack, what does it, no, honestly though, because like, and you're totally like, what does it mean that your identity as a nation was built on stolen blood soaked land? It's crazy. I don't know. And it's, you know, people will, and, and you know, I've heard the argument of, well, you know, when it comes to slavery. Well, when you go to Africa, they were doing it in Africa. They were enslaving their own people before you. Okay, first off, correction. There was enslavement of people, but it was prisoners of war. It was people who were doing corrupt things. They were criminal at point. So there was there was a, a, a regard for certain things. It wasn't that we just enslaved people because and at some point they and their children them. were slaves and children. Yeah. Like I feel like people that's that's, out of slavery in a lot of places. That's to, you no. know, and so that's a whole other conversation and we can, we can bring on oh, some I'd love to unpack that. that. I would love to unpack that too. But I think we need to understand that like in America, our foundation was stealing the ideal of something that you people like sometimes too, I think people too take things that are sacred and they bring and America has taken some sacred things from different types of people and mm-hmm. different types of group and tried to recreate that. 
And then when you think about it, it's like, but that wasn't your own. It wasn't yours to take. You have no idea what that sacred piece of that person's religion or whatnot. And so for me, when I look at America, again, I think of stolen land. I think of things that have been taken that are trying to be recreated. And I think there's just so much problems that we're, so many problems we're having because of that. Now people who are a part of their different religions, who are a part of their different groups are saying, you're not going to take our stuff and try to recreate your own. And I know people like within the Buddhist communities, when it comes to yo certain th yoga practices, people are taking their power back because they're like, you're not about to take our stuff and mess it up again and do, do, do us dirty. You know, you even look at indigenous communities who are fighting mm -hmm. for the rights of their own communities. Because again, in America, we're trying to take their rights away that we honestly shouldn't have had taken in the beginning. So I just think of America and protesting and all these things People are doing that now because they're up. There's an uprising of you're not going to take take my my identity. This is who I am, and I think there's just so much more that goes into play when it comes to America that we need to really dismantle and fix and heal from before we can even move forward. So this presidency is cool, but like there's real true work to do that we talked about. Hand of honor. Sorry, I went on a right tangent. No, no. huge. And I think Marty, what you said too about like. <laughs> not thinking about like we are fighting for the identity of our country and that's and that's what we're doing period yeah, yeah. we're reclaiming we're reclaiming the identity of our country yes the identity of our community whether it's our eerie or our country whatever period wow. well this seems like a good <laughs> good space to pause before we talk to hannah briefly i know you as an awesome volunteer through work but you're also this magnificent business owner in town who has a social justice lens and like has really like been vocal about some of the issues and concerns we care about but you also have a really interesting backstory before you got to be um, <laughs> this business owner so i want to hear we want to hear a little bit about your background and like have a conversation about um your journey and some of the things that's happened recently so Take yeah, for sure. Yeah. Chime in at any point in here uh, if you want to dive into anything. But um, yeah, I came to, I'm an Erie transplant. So I'm originally from Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. So it's all the way down, you know, and you use the pit, the hand as the Pennsylvania all the way down in the bottom uh, right corner. Um, came to Erie for school. So I graduated from Gannon University with an engineering degree, mechanical engineering degree. Um, and once I finished that really just, um, love the area. So, I mean, for me, Erie is a, is the big city, uh, much larger than Waynesburg. <laughs> um, so, uh, really just enjoyed, um, Erie and what it has to offer, you know, the, the balance between it strikes, it strikes a good balance between, um, that like big city, the amenities, you know, not having to drive 25 minutes to go do anything. Yeah. Um, 
Instead, it's 10 minutes to do everything. Um, and then, you know, but the balance between that, the big city kind of feel and also, um, you know, feeling like people know you and that when I walk down the street, there are people that I recognize. I really love that about it. And even as a college student, really kind of felt that same energy, even not being really like a part, you know, there's always that like university bubble. <laughs> um, so even, even before piercing that, um, when I decided to stay in Erie long-term, I worked at Ward Corporation for um, a little over eight years as a quality engineer. So I worked primarily in their um, uh, manufacturing facility as like a plant, man plant quality engineer. Um, which I enjoyed, but um, at a point just kind of realized that I wanted to be more engaged with the community and more feel more part of the community. I think especially once, so Lord had a facility here um, on 12th Street um, that was very old um, and during the you know World War II, kind of like stuff just got added on to it. And so like from a manufacturing standpoint, like the flow of it was very bad. Like you'd have to run parts all across the plant multiple times. Um, and so they moved to a new facility um, up off of I-90, gorgeous. Like if you wanna talk about like manufacturing, like bright lights and it's just like the exact opposite of what you think of when you think of like, a factory, right? Like it's the, it's so beautiful, but the challenge with that is it's like all the way up off of I-90. And so you just end up, I felt just like in this bubble where it's just like, I go there in the morning, especially in wintertime, right? You go up before it's dark, you are in there all day. There's like a cafeteria, so you never have to leave. Mm -hmm. And then you like come out and it's dark again. And it just felt this like kind of relentless, uh, you know, kind of punching the clock type of thing. So um, I think that like kind of after that move just really felt super disconnected from the city. And so started driving this, like, well, how do I get reconnected? And so I was, and still am on many boards trying to like make that, you know, find those connections. And again, like being so far away from downtown, it was like, I'd have to leave there, drive 20 minutes into town, have my like lunch meeting, hour meeting, and then drive 20 minutes back. And so it now becomes like a two hour lunch break that just is again, like just this constant, like struggle to try to make this have find that feeling that I'm looking for. Um, so at a point, I just started thinking like, okay, there has to be a better way to, to have that, like this feeling of engagement with the city and the community. And so, um, just started exploring like what that could look like. And I kept coming back around to this, like idea that I had when I was younger of like opening a coffee shop. And so in my younger days, it was like definitely like the romantic, like, oh, wouldn't it be so cool to have a coffee shop? But like, obviously realizing too, that like running a business is a lot of work and it's not going to be as, you know, I knew, was well aware that it's not as romantic as it sounds. Um, so like kind of always push that off because I'm like, I know it's not going to be like you see in the TVs where you're just hanging out and drinking coffee all day. Like that's not going to be it. So, um, yeah, so just, um, kind of kept pushing that off, pushing that off, but it kept coming back up as I was like exploring, like what that looks like for me. And so finally just said, well, you know what, like, I'm just, let's just explore it. Like, no, there's no strings attached to it. I can explore this idea without, 
you know, saying, well, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Um, so yeah, started exploring it, started having conversations, did like a market survey in town just to see like kind of what people would be willing to, you know, what, what they're looking for, like, how far are you willing to walk? How far are you willing to drive? You know, that kind of thing. Um, I knew that if I was going to do it, it had to be in the downtown footprint. Um, and then also just having been around Erie long enough, like knowing it had to be on state street, just really from like a success standpoint. So, um, yeah, so started exploring that spent probably about like six months digging into that. Like, what would this, if I were to, if I were to do this, it was always how I framed it. Um, what would it look like? Like, what would I want the interior to look like? What kind of drinks would I serve? Really just starting to flesh out the ideas. And I put it all in a notebook, just kind of writing down, just like jotting it down, like on a corner, like draw, you know, sketching it out or whatever. And like six months later, looked at it and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a business plan. You know, like definitely needs some finesse, <laughs> finessing, but like it's a business plan. And so then it was like, okay, well, I think this is actually like a viable option. So I started digging into the kind of financials, like, is it viable in Erie? Yeah. Um, and so started digging into that. And then, you know, about another kind of couple months later, just realizing like, oh shoot, this is a viable business. And now I have to make the decision of like, do I move forward or not? And so luckily decided to move forward and, um, you know, opened in December of 2017. So in a few months will be our three year anniversary, which is super exciting. Um, and yeah, we're really happy to be a part of the community and it definitely has fulfilled that bringing it full circle has brought that felt like feeling of like, and really truly engaging with our community. For sure. So I've been to your space many times. So when you were envisioning in all those years before you acted on what your coffee shop would look like, is it what you thought it would look like? And like, what did you like kind of tap into for like creating your space? Yeah, I think it really did. Um, You know, so we ended up the year before we opened once I had kind of said, yep, this is something we're going to at least seriously like move forward with. Um, you know, seriously considering I, we, every time we traveled, we would just make it a point. And we had kind of done that before just because I enjoy coffee. And so like, we like going to different spaces and I think that coffee shops and um, I think what draws so many people to them really are like a good first step when you visit a new place. So, you know, first off, like you're usually traveling somewhere. So like getting, you know, whether it's off a plane or out of your car and getting a cup of coffee is just for me really like rejuvenating. Um, you know, the second piece is like that you can interact with folks and be like, okay, Hey, I'm here for the day or I'm here for the weekend. Like, what do I need to go do? I think they're really like nice introduction, but then I think they're also a really nice cross section of the community that you're visiting. So like you get to kind of see who is there and kind of the vibe of the city and, you know, it might not be like 100% representative, but like, I think it's a good mm-hmm. piece. Um, so, yeah, so we've always kind of done that um, anyway, but then once we kind of started like thinking about doing this coffee shop, um, anytime we go, we'd go with a more like um, critical eye and just be like, okay, like, what do we like about this place? What don't we like about it? What would we do differently? Um, and so really just started kind of piecing together what that vision was um, more in depth. So it, I think that our shop 
now, my shop now, um, has really kind of hit those, like being a space where, um, you know, people are able to, um, you know, come for a work meeting to come Mm -hmm. do homework. And then also to come and just like sit back, Mm -hmm. you know, read a book, have a, you know, in-depth conversation with whoever, you know, someone that they're meeting. And I, like, we really intentionally created it. Those are kind of like the three main ways we, you know, felt that people use coffee shops. I mean, there's certainly uh, several other ways, but, you know, just the kind of like lounge, whether by yourself or with somebody have a business meeting or to do homework kind of were those three pieces. So really intentionally designed it around those uses. And then also, you know, we had gone to one where you, the biggest complaint about our coffee shop is that there's not enough seats, which I can appreciate for sure. And I love that people want to spend time with us and in, in, in the shop with us. But, um, you know, we had visited one where it was just a lot of like single tables and, you know, to like get to the middle table that was open, you know, like shimmy past like four people and like, you know, rub your butt against their back. And it was just really awkward. And I was like, I don't, you know, this is not somewhere that like, I want to come and bring a friend and sit and Mm -hmm. catch up with. It's like, and you know, like the other tables right here. So if you're having like a semi-personal conversation, they're right there. So, um, you know, so like, again, wanted to make it kind of feel where you have your different zones, where you feel like at least some bit, you know, you're not private obviously, but, um, some ability to kind of speak a little bit more freely. So, yeah, I think that, um, in my vision, especially once I started thinking about the, uh, you know, this space specifically, or my space, this, this concept specifically, it really did flesh out kind of exactly how we intended. So you talk a lot about like community and that being like one of the driving forces of you wanting to like calm downtown and create this space and, um, have community. What drives that feeling or that sense of like wanting to build that and be in that? Yeah, I think that um, a piece of it is that since I've lived in the area, at least, and I know I've heard lots of stories about like other coffee shops that were in downtown, but at least since I have been here, like there really hasn't been that space where people, you know, you, you just go to see kind of like what's happening for the day or what's going on, or it's a good like first stop when you come downtown. And so part of it is just like really trying to drive traffic downtown. I think that everybody here, you know, wants to see a thriving downtown Erie um, grow. And so that was kind of the first piece of it. But, you know, like that second piece is just, again, to have that space where I know that I can go meet up with somebody, have that, make that connection instead of being like, well, we're going to go to you know, a bar, which is also, I've had some great conversations over cocktails, but, um, you know, I think that they're a little bit, it's just a little bit different feeling, um, you know, and then like, there's just other ways, other spaces, but they're that to have that kind of coffee shop where you're coming and like really connecting with folks. Um, I just, I did not, you know, didn't see it exist in our downtown landscape and, um, you know, wanted to have that asset for our community of a place where people can come and like connect and share ideas. And, you know, what we really wanted to see was like people come and talk about cool stuff that they wanted to do or are doing and it lights somebody else 
you know, like to, yes, let's do this. Or, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. I'm going to go and do this and then make stuff happen like outside of our doors. That was really the kind of driving force behind it. Ooh, it's like a little incubator. Yeah. Some of my best work and off the conversations down there. So I was looking at my photos the other day and I was like scrolling through. And of course I have a couple infamous photos that have that I'm sitting on the couch, the, the, the orange <laughs> color couch. Yes, I love the orange, which we'll talk about. I'm going to ask you why you actually you chose orange because that's a very happy and exciting color. It's probably why you chose it. But <laughs> but um, I was looking through my photos and I'm like, dang, I've been to Ember and Forge for art galleries. I've been there for just regular conversation. I've been there when I was running for city council. So it's interesting because like you're right, that space has been used for multiple things. Mm -hmm. And I like that you're like, the intention was for that to happen. So that's interesting. But I do want to know, like, what gave you, what, what gave you the, the inspiration for the concept of the color orange? And then also just, it is very, it's, it has a very like rustic vibe. And I really like that about the space. Yeah. So I worked, um, actually one of my very dear friends from high school, um, her and her husband are like brilliant art people and make me very jealous about everything that they do. Um, but I think my, I, I believe that his, his job, um, her husband, Matt, um, Geesting is a, is a brand designer. So he does, I think a lot of more like tech startup type people. Um, and so I happened to just like mention to them like, Oh, Hey, by the way, this is like fun thing that I'm doing in life now. And they actually offered very graciously to help me with my branding. So it was really um, nice to be able to have like real professionals uh, working on this instead of me trying to do it myself, which would not have turned out nearly as nice. Um, and so kind of the, uh, the whole background, you know, what I fed Matt was that, you know, creating this simple brand. So like my vision of the space, but also of just our, you know, of our, of our presentation to everybody else is very simple. Um, you know, we were thinking like black and white, black and white with some color. And so that's obviously represented in the space itself, a lot of black, white, um, texture. So like the plants, the leather seats, um, the wood, the brick, um, and then, kind of playing off the kind of history of Erie in this, like as a manufacturing city and like kind of that, you know, kind of tying in, like you said, that rustic, but that more of like that history. Mm -hmm. um, and so obviously we're in historic space. Our building was built in 1851. So it's been there for ever. I mean, <laughs> kind of. Um, and so, you know, we wanted to tie all that in and then the name Ember and Forge really, um, that, that ember and that fire flame. And that kind of really drove, um, the design of both the space and the, um, and the branding and, um, in talking to Matt, you know, he was like, okay, I think this could go one of two ways. We could either do like a kind of copper, which is lovely and beautiful. Um, but obviously creates a challenge when you start like wanting to get stuff printed and like t-shirts and you know, like, it gets really expensive on paper. And um, he said, or we can go orange, which like ties in that like flame fire would be very easily applicable. And then just like people really don't do orange and it's such a great, like strong color. And so I was like, yes. So we decided to go with orange. And um, you know, I think the challenge with a color like orange versus like our other option, copper, like you can't really do overdo copper. 
Um, you know, you can kind of put it in, it looks nice. It's, it's shiny and beautiful. I think the challenge with orange is that you can easily overdo it and end up looking a little too Home Depot. <laughs> um, and so that's when we started talking about the design of the space, we wanted to like use the orange very intentionally. And so I um, also have very lucky to have incredibly talented friends. Um, I have a friend that lives in Chicago that is, um, she's actually like a interior slash renovation, like DIY blogger is her, um, her background, but she is also like very brilliant, has a great eye, went to art school for photography, but just has a very creative eye. Um, her name is Kim Vargo. And so she, I worked with her, you know, I just knew that like making all those decisions of like chairs and tables and fixtures and lights and, you know, just all those were going to be like super overwhelming on top of like getting the stuff purchased, you know, getting everything purchased, picking out our um, equipment. Um, you know, I was the kind of the general contractor and like working, making sure all the trades were coming, just the whole build out process. So I knew that just like all those additional de decisions were going to be really fatiguing. So ended up kind of hiring that out to my friend, Kim, again, kind of gave her that same direction, white, black texture, and then like this pop of orange. And so, um, that's where the couches came in. So we knew that we wanted to have like, um, kind of like a lounge seating area with like a couch and a chair, you know, as, as we have now, uh, more of like a living room kind of set up um, yeah. in one corner. And so I think that she was the one that originally, she's like, here's like a neutral version that I think would look great in the space, but what about an orange couch? And I was like, yes, we, <laughs> I now am need an orange couch in my life. So yes. <laughs> One of my friends actually has an orange couch. I walked into her apartment. She lives at Level Place. And I walked into her apartment. I was like, oh, orange. Like, I would have never thought to do yeah. that. Like, she was like, yes, I got it for sale. And so that color, you're right. I never would have thought to put it in a on a couch. It's interesting. So do you think that your experience as an engineer plays at all in your day-to-day -day as a business owner for a coffee shop? Yeah, I think that um, it, it, it helps and it hurts in some ways. So I think that from, you know, just my background with like problem solving, critical thinking, like that obviously comes in play all the time. Um, I'm also very process based. So creating processes and figuring out like what the best way to do something when like cutting out as many steps as possible, you know, just like the most efficient. I think that, um, that my engineering background really is beneficial. I think, um, you know, I'm lucky I have a very strong math background. So like doing the numbers and the accounting and all that is very, you know, natural for me. Um, so it makes those tasks really um, much easier. I think the challenge for me a lot of times is I get a little too engineery, uh, if that's a word. Um, where I need to be more entrepreneurial. So where mm. like, I want to, when I roll out something, anything, I want to make sure that all like everything's planned. And so what, what issues might a customer have with this? Let's make sure we get them out of the way first. And I think that mm. there's something to be said about like rolling out like a good package, but I think from more of like an entrepreneurial standpoint, it's like the fail fast. So you roll it out, see what happens, tweak it, fix it, or ditch it and then move on. And I have a really hard time 
with that. And I think a lot of times that it does end up like kind of holding me back from like doing cool things that I think would be really beneficial, but, um, to both the business and, uh, and our community, um, mm-hmm. because I'm like, well, I don't know how this is going to like really roll out and play out. And so I kind of just hold on to the idea for longer than is probably necessary and is useful. So for sure. Well, I'm going to transition us into a harder part of the conversation Um, because you have created this amazing space downtown that like a broad base of people enjoy and love. Um, In April, when um, the protests that were happening in light of the murder of George Floyd went late into the night and there were some folks who did some damage to your business. There was like a lot of mixed response to it. Mm-hmm. And, but you stepped up and like, um, you know, responded in a way that marked how you as business owner were affected, but also um, marked how, you know, the bigger picture of the issue is what, you know, led to that incident. So I guess I want to ask you, going back and I know like (laughs) forever ago um and like you don't have to tell talk about all of your feelings but like what was it like to be there that night maybe watching it live or seeing it later on the next day um what happened yeah so I I um I was not downtown at the time and I um I ended up getting a phone call or text, I can't remember at this point, um, from one of my employees, um, kind of just being that like, hey, this is an awkward conversation to have, but I think there's some damage that's happened at the shop. Um, And so like, kind of was like, okay, I don't know what, you know, like that could mean anything. And so obviously like got online, got on Facebook, tried to like find some videos of stuff that was happening. ended up, I don't remember if we stumbled upon it or someone sent it to us. Um, one of the videos of kind of like the fire getting started. Um, it was one of the views from like across the street. So it's just as it ends up being just a very bright flame. Um, and so that was like kind of gut wrenching, right. Where you're like, I have worked so hard to try to get this business off the ground. Mm Like, so, you know, just start thinking about like all the nights that I've like not slept because I'm, you know, I have to make payroll tomorrow and I haven't quite figured out how that's going to happen. You know, like all that then like for this, for, you know, for one night. Um, and so that was kind of the original like gut punch. Um, and then, you know, kind of calm down, uh, and then, you know, also trying to like, see, you find out like, okay, well, what's happening, what, you know, what's really going on. We're, you know, we're lucky to be able to like see some other videos or, or the news, um, kind of like the live news um, videos that were happening and really being able to look at it and say, okay, it looks like it's actually pretty controlled. You know, it's, it's okay. Um, and just saying like, okay, the reality is I'm not going to go down there tonight and find out. So we're just going to like let it go for tonight. Um, but, and then to, to your point, Marty has really shifted that conversation away from like, okay, we're not going to do anything about the physical location tonight. So let's talk about like our feelings about this and where, you know, where I, as a person, where my, you know, I talked to my husband about it, where we, um, where we stand on like what's happening. I mean, like we was obviously not oblivious to us 
why the protests were happening, why, you know, the, the feelings come out, um, you know, potentially in damage. Um, and so really started to frame our, our, our conversation around that. And so came kind of to the conclusion that like, you know, people, what, you know, we can talk about whether damage is, um, you know, is, is a, uh, result of grief and how people grieve and how people express that and, you know, kind of bottled up feelings and, um, mm. centuries of oppression, you know, like we can, we can you know, look at it from that way. We can look at it as opportunistic people that are, um, you know, maybe not a part of the, you know, people that are out there protesting for, um, you know, equality and, and, mm. um, a better police system and better systems in general. Um, you know, so regardless of where, of where that comes from, you know, talking about like that, it's not the effects of a protest and it's not the, you know, and, or it is, and it's, um, you know, who are we to judge how people grieve and, Mm -hmm. and how these things come out and looking at like, it's a, you know, pane of glass, it's a, you know, a wooden table. It's these things that, um, you know, don't even come close to comparing to, what, you know, our, our black community, um, you know, you guys specifically too, like our experience in your day to days. And so, um, you know, it's obviously something that myself, my husband do not experience. And so like, how can we pass judgment on that? And so, you know, the, uh, the reality is like, that's what business insurance is for and, you know, things happen. And so, kind of really just saying like, let's shift the conversation to why these things are happening and how we can be a part of the solution to, to kind of fix it. Um, and so, yeah, so that's really, we wanted to be able to like be that, you know, put that out there for like, people wanna be mad for our sakes. And so we wanted to kind of redirect that conversation like for our friends that were like really frustrated and I get it. Like we were very, you know, it's not something I want to wake up to on a Sunday morning and have to deal with, but the reality is like, there's a bigger conversation that needs to happen. And so we were happy to, you know, we started the coffee shop as we talked about earlier as being the space for community and like really driving change in our community. And if like, we needed to be, if that damage needed to happen to our space in order to facilitate that conversation, then we are happy to be here for that. And so that's, yeah, really kind of where we ended up for the night. And what kind of response or pushback did you get when you like made your public statement? 99% of it was super positive. I think people really appreciated get being given that like permission to move, move past it, especially like white people, right? Like I think we get, it's easy for white people to get caught up in the damage part of it. And so like to push people to move past that and see deeper, I think, um, you know, people really appreciated, um, Mm -hmm. and like, you know, again, to, to not have to be mad on my sake or or the shot, you know, our business behalf, like we, it's fine, move on. Um, so I think all in all, very positive, um, you know, a couple people, especially, um, we ended up a few days later, um, one of the gentlemen involved with some of the damage at our space mm-hmm. was brought up on federal charges. And so very, we also very publicly, um, you know, put out, out a statement that we did, we disagreed with the, the federal charges. Um, mm-hmm. and so, especially after that statement, 
um, got some not so nice comments from folks. Um, mostly, you know, like, I don't know, mostly people just saying like, oh, well, maybe we need to be investigated because we probably did it for the insurance money. So, <laughs> which we ended up not uh, taking out an insurance claim. So um, wow. I'm not sure how that benefited me, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so all in all, like super, super supportive. I think that we've really been able to build like really good customers and really good community around us. And so I think for on the whole, really positive, um, response. And so you have also like kept up with the case for, and I apologize if I mispronounced his name, Tavar Nichols and you know, the federal charges that they brought against them. So you have witnessed how the process works a little more closely than some of us. What can you speak to about like how that's been working? Yeah, so I um, I had gotten a visit from, you know, like the FBI and ATF came to the shop to do their investigation, ask me questions, um, kind of like, uh, you know, I certainly wasn't there, so I'm not like a witness by any means, but, um, you know, like where we get some of our stuff, like our equipment and where does our, where do we get like cups and whatnot? And so they're asking me all these questions and, you know, certainly, um, you know, we answered what they needed. Um, and then a few days later when we, I can't remember exactly how, like we got involved or they sent me the, um, you know, like as the quote unquote victim, I always put that in air quotes, but, um, you know, they send us like the information of stuff that's happening and, um, you know, or maybe we saw it in the newspaper, I can't remember, but you know, that these federal charges really stem from the fact that we like get cups from New York state. So one, the closest, um, you know, one, I mean, really Buffalo is probably the closest of the, the surrounding cities. And um, we use a company there to, that sends us like our paper cups and um, like plastic stuff and you know, boxes and napkins and that kind of stuff. Um, and because they're happened to be in New York state, um, we get, it's like interstate transport. Um, the other piece that they used to justify this federal charge was, um, that we have a Facebook page and that we sell gift cards. And I'm not sure how those all really what? play into, but like, <laughs> And as a business that really, you know, we try to be hyper local, right? Like we try to do as much locally yeah. as possible. And so to be like classified as an interstate business to be used against somebody is really like kind of offensive, right? Like, well, it's almost like reaching, you're reaching oh, yeah. to make sure that you get some more charges against this. Yeah. Well, we'll be honest, young black man. Yeah. Uh, and of course that shows again, the systemic racism that we have within our, cause that that's reaching. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and that was exactly, you know, the statement that we kind of made was just like, all right, like we can talk about, you know, you know, right, wrong. I also have feelings about, you know, people being involved in protests and coming out with felonies, but like yes. so we can talk about like all that separately, but like the federal, you know, at this point, like federal charges seem a little extreme. So, <laughs> um, but, um, so once that, like, obviously I I've been very lucky. I've really never interacted with, um, you know, the criminal justice system at, at mm -hmm. all. Um, and so let alone like the federal yeah. level. And so like, I have no idea how this works. I don't know who to talk to about this. I don't know if I'm allowed to like 
talk on his behalf. Like right. it seems like, of course you are, but like, I have no idea. And so, um, spoke to one of our, um, uh, oh shoot. What are they called? Oh, public defender, public defender. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm like, really? It is. Just, it was gone. Um, anyway, no, so I got, good. <laughs> not my specialty. So oh, no, not mine at all. Um, yeah. So I spoke with her kind of about the process of like the kind of what's different from federal versus the, you know, if it were in the Commonwealth and, um, kind of just getting a feel for that system. Um, and so he ended up actually, they don't do bail in the federal I, is my understanding. Again, do not have a law degree. This is based yeah. on just some <laughs> conversations with folks and I could have totally misunderstood things. So please no one take this as legal advice. I know, right? Um, <laughs> that's my little disclaimer. Um, I like that disclaimer. But like, I, yeah, my understanding is they don't really do bail. So that's just kind of up to the discretion of the judge as to whether like you're a flight risk or a risk to yourself or others. And so because this gentleman is getting charged with arson, that's like a violent crime. And um, so then he was remanded pending trial. And so he had been in prison since June, you know, and then it's a federal case. So in my conversation with this uh, public defender, you know, she's saying like, oh yeah, but like, because it's, federal like they just take longer and like a lot of times it's like a year or two before you really reach trial and so you know the reality is like this this young man like was gonna end up sit you know in you know apparently you know innocent until proven guilty as we as they say um pending trial that could take you know especially if you have and he did not have he does have a, a private attorney which um you know whether that matters or not but um, you know, especially if you have somebody that is like doing the motions and trying to like get stuff done well, like that just extends that time prior, prior to trial. So uh, I uh, ended up, you know, kind of receiving permission to contact his attorney and see if there was something like I could do to help this guy out. Um, you know, again, as seeing as like, if I'm the quote unquote victim here, like, do I get any say? What does that look like? And so, you know, because it's, um, the way that works, it's like not up to me. I don't like press charges or anything like that, but, um, you know, I do get a say in like the sentencing and, um, in this case was able to like write a letter to the judge and say like, listen, you're putting, you know, he's in jail because he's of like safety to others, but like, I feel no more or less safe Right. with him in jail than if he's not. Mm -hmm. right. um, you know, what I do feel less safe about is the people that call my personal cell phone number and tell mm. me how I should have different thoughts on this, on this matter, or are sending me like unsolicited letters about, you know, why I should feel differently about these things. Those people concern me, but this gentleman does not, you know, I feel no more safe with him in jail. So I don't know, you know, I think that his, his lawyer created a motion. And so, um, you know, the good news is that we were able to, whatever small part I played in it, but um, they were able to get him released pending his trial. So that was a, certainly a win in the, in the, um, in our system. For yeah, sure. for sure. My goodness. I mean, let's open that up to conversation, you know, because um, we all actually may fall in different spaces on this, but um, what happened here in Erie was actually 
um, something that happened in a lot of places that April and June with people, you know, day starting off with like a peaceful protest where mm -hmm. thousands of um, citizens or residents would show up and then later in the evening, um, it might escalate into property destruction or other things. Um, and the conversation has kind of turned into, well, because this happens, therefore all protests are bad or, you know, only these protesters have the right to protest, therefore you shouldn't be out. And it's like marred, like, what is the purpose of it? So like, what are your thoughts, both of you and all of us on like, um, I don't know, like protesting in this new era, because we're all young too. Mm -hmm. yeah. We did not witness um, for the most part, the things that happened in the nineties and prior yeah. to that. So, um, what are your thoughts? So my thoughts right now, like my current as being a 32 year old woman. Now I have not been down to protest because I feel, you know, one, I felt that there's a job for everybody. And mm -hmm. at one point in time, my job was to go down protest and be an activist in that way. But I found that my space was creating spaces, was doing things that were actionable for us to move Erie forward. Now, I do believe truly, though, that there needs to be people in place in different parts of the system. That way, it works for our benefit. We need protests. We, we need protesters. We need people out there on the ground who are saying, this is not right. We need to figure this out. Then we need people in the spaces who have the power to create and change things, because everybody has power in their own right. And so for me, when I looked at that, especially when I looked in Erie, I was actually pretty impressed. I was like, wow, for people to come and wanna to come together and wanna to do peaceful protests and wanna do protests in general, like, because honestly, I'm not gonna say peaceful, like, because sometimes you don't need to have a peaceful protest. Sometimes you need to shake things up. And I truly believe that it was perfect timing that we needed that to happen here in Erie. So for me personally, I say that I think it all works. It's all cyclical. Um, but my last protest, my last time of doing that was um, Occupy Wall Street. I remember that being, you know, big where the one we would fight against the 1%. So it seems like it's the same situation where we're talking about racial, but right now we're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, racial and systemic issues. But that was the same thing. It was talking about systemic issues and how the 1% were the ones that controlled everything. And that's still the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting that even though we're in this time of 2020, Occupy was in 2000 and oh man, was it 2011, 2000 was, is it 11, yeah. nine years ago? <laughs> it's kind of the same, it's the same thing. So I, 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 for one was just impressed though with Erie, like, and I really, you know, I know we had those, you know, the, the looters, well, well, we'll say riot is looters. Cause I I'm guessing they're two different things. They are two, you know, I, that, I, cause I've been saying that, but for me, I just think you need to shake things up sometimes destruction will happen. Um, I was more so impressed that when I heard about Ember and Forge being, um, being one of the places I was like, oh my God, like, are you freaking serious? <laughs> personally, I, I know Hannah, I've been in her space. You know, Hannah is not one that we need, you know, that's not one we need to be attacking. But I understood also on the other end, when she was, when she processed, what she was processing, that's what I was processing at home was, okay, well, yes, it's her business. I'm upset that that happened to her. But when her response, it reassured me like, okay, well, she's okay. You know, she's trying to just make sure that everybody's, you know, and is understanding of what's going on. So I was really impressed that, you know, Hannah was like, yeah, I have this platform and I'm going to now use my platform for 
education. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting. And I think, I mean, to your, to your point, Ivana, it's, I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, do I want people to get hurt? Do people have businesses and, you know, like, I don't want somebody to lose their livelihood either. And, you know, then it's the whole, I mean, you could go so far into it, right. Where even if you talk about a target where it's like, okay, that the millionaires and billionaires are not losing their livelihood because of this one store, but there are workers that might. And like, so you could dig down into all that. And I don't, you know, I certainly am, am not unaware of the effect that that could have on people. Right. Um, but I agree with you is that I think that sometimes like it is too easy. I mean, you talk about protesting nine years ago mm-hmm. and still like what's changed, right? you know? And I think that a lot of times like people have to get really uncomfortable and, you know, people have to be, you know, I don't want to say afraid is not the word I'm looking for, but um yeah, I guess uncomfortable is probably the best, the best word, but, um, you know, before things really to, to change and move forward and people to, for, to, to force people to kind of reevaluate. And I think that even in this case, you know, it's when you talk about what's happened in Erie, I think it did force even myself, like, and I, as somebody that I hope to be as an inclusive Mm -hmm. space and to, um, you know, to, to see Erie for its greatness and then also for the things that need changed and improved. And even, even as I consider myself as someone that's able to see both of those things. And I think that even still like it, this has really forced me to kind of reevaluate my personal position and where I fit into it. And, you know, the, 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 the politicalness of, of black lives. Right. And so as a white person, it's very easy to be like, well, that's political. And I don't want to do that on my platform. And I don't want to be a part, you know, I don't really want to get into it. And I think that this whole portion has really forced everyone, myself included to really look at, well, like, you know, and this is something that I'm certain that my, you know, you guys, my black friends have said for a while. And, um, but again, it's kind of forced us all really to, to listen harder. And I think that is where, protesting and you know unfortunately damage kind of plays into it and really forcing people to to pay attention for me you know when I listen to when I hear rioters and stuff I think of the story of Jesus when he went to the temple and he was like listen I'm about to destroy the crap out of this yard (laughs) and you know I really think of it like that it was a very political statement and you know whatever however people want to translate that that's what my translation was was kind of like you know people get gaining attention like this is something that should not be happening in the temple. And so I look at it like that is just, I, I think it needs to happen. And I think that's the only way you're gonna get noise happen because clearly constituents and citizens don't get their voice heard. So what other way to do it is to be out on the streets. I mean, that's the, how, how, other, what are the other ways that we can do, you know? And I think it's up to us though, with our platforms, with, you know, owning spaces, with being a part of community is, really, really educating people about why people do riot, about why people do protest. Um, and I think people are now realizing, okay, that's what people are needing to do, but I wish there was a different way. I wish there was, but there's not at this moment. I was saying to people online when I was reading reactions that like the, I don't necessarily agree with like the burning down of places and the I'm not going to, openly advocate for that thing right but when you're feeling rage 
and rage yeah. that has been in you for years and it's a shared collective rage and we're all have you ever had a conversation with a friend where they're mad about something you start getting mad about something you both yeah. get mad and mad and mad but put that on a city and national scale that's what happened this June yeah and um you know it's kind of quieted down in spaces like ours but like the issue doesn't go away they continue to abuse people yeah uh, the system continues to within the um you know prison industrial system oppress people so until something actually happens we're going to just keep on seeing these cycles you know mm-hmm. right and i was when i didn't actually go out and protest that day because i'm immune compromised and i was worried about catching covid right and i, I, and I still kind of worry about like what does it mean to be politically active right now in that way that's necessary when there's a pandemic you know mm-hmm but it was so necessary. And I was disappointed because it also um, opens the conversation in a way that it forces leaders to have to say something. Yeah. And it, like an eerie at least showed yeah. us like, how backward some of our leaders are yeah. and or how some of our leaders don't care about anything. They won't say anything. And that's just as bad as saying something backwards. Yeah. So it's really important these protests. Heck yeah. I think that's a really good point, Marty. I think that I, and I've not framed it that way in my thinking. And I really like that is just like really forcing, you know, the people that are in leadership to kind of show where they're, where they stand so that like when it comes time to vote and put people in, in these positions, like, okay, well now I know where you feel you land on these things that are important to, you know, me personally, or me as a, as a system or how I, how I want my city to move, to move forward, you know, um, to, to really be able to like, know where people stand. I think that's a really good point. I didn't think of it that way. And paying attention to our local leaders, because, you know, I was even thinking about recently, like I watched the the debate with Biden mm-hmm. and, and Trump. And one thing I really noticed, I was like, dang, like we are so, we emphasize presidential elections so much that people don't even understand the power that people behind the scenes have like lobbyists, yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I just learned that more so. So for me, I'm saying that because that's fresh to me. Like I didn't realize the amount of power that people behind the scenes had. And it's like, we need to be knowing, we need to know who those people are making the change. And cause the president's one that just kind of like, they're the ones that just write off on those, some of those things They're you know, there it's not saying that their power is not powerful, but it's very limited in a way where we have to worry about the Senate, the Congress. I don't think people are really looking at how we need to really be educating people about who our Senate is, who our Congress people are, who our local leaders are and the power that they have because mm-hmm. even local elections, like are many people are many people realizing who their local leaders are and who they can put in those spaces. Like we have the power to put people in those seats. So young people need to understand that right now, like not just young people, people, what the ages, what 18 to 45 that don't vote. What was it, Marty? When we were talking about the statistics. Yeah, they say that, but I even, t- I know. I don't know if that's, that's true. That's what they say, but I'm like, yeah. I also have talked to many uh, older person who, in a, who are in the demographic of the voting block who don't participate or have historically participated, but choose upon elections not to participate because they don't like the candidates so like no. <laughs> if we're such if we're this huge voting block that's supposed to change the world then how come so little is influenced when we actually do you know Show up. participate yes yeah. it can't be both things so right. i take issue with it sometimes even though i know like what the numbers are absolutely 
speaking of the numbers, did y'all know that Black women make up the largest, we're the largest in voting? We make, oh, it says so, is Black women constitute the largest and most politically active demographic of voters? And that's at least, yeah, and I just found that out. And I, I was, I've been, we've been looking at like different statistics. So that's interesting. The, the most depressed and the most, <laughs> the, the, the highest in voting. Well, speaking of upcoming elections, Hannah, you've been very active in like phone banking weekly and like calling voters about vote by mail and stuff. So like, how has that been going for you? And like, what made you want to get active? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been interesting, fun, weird, good, like all of the above. Um, and yeah, I get, I think that, you know, again, kind of stemming from the protest and damage, like I'm, there's certainly like, was signaling that this was an important election prior to all that. But I think, again, kind of talking about what the, the, the outcomes of protests, like that was kind of one for me and just realizing like, I cannot just sit back and let others do the work and expect change to happen. And so really prompted me. And especially like, you know, right now um, with, the pandemic, like we're all at home. And so I have a little bit more flexibility, whereas like, you know, in years past and trying to run a business or, you know, whatever may not have allowed me to. So just looking at it and saying like, okay, I have the, I have the means and ability to do this. And I have the requirement to partake, you know, and, and to your point is like really be a part of this system. And so, um, yeah, so I, I really liked, um, you know, getting involved with Erie County United. Uh, specifically, I liked kind of the values that um, they place forward and kind of how they work. And so um, started phone banking um, to get, you know, make sure people vote. Like we certainly, the, the, I love that it's not necessarily like vote for this person, uh, but it's more of like, okay, we know that, you know, the current administration is not helping people, the average person. Um, and so like getting that person out of office, getting Trump out of office versus like vote for this specific person, because we believe in everything that he or she said, you know, I really like that concept for, for Erie County United, which is why I uh, wanted to volunteer with that organization specifically. Um, so yeah, started, uh, ended up becoming a phone bank lead. So for several weeks, we, um, you know, just calling fo folks to like remind them to vote, to encourage them to vote early and vote by mail. Um, and so that was just nice to like have these conversations with folks that may not generally get called by like a political candidate or, you know, to be able to like have them, you know, let them kind of speak their mind and kind of how they're feeling. But I think the past couple of weeks, we've kind of transitioned my, the crew that I phone bank with, we've transitioned to kind of this deep canvas um, concept where it's really calling folks that are maybe a little less sure on who they're voting for and kind of just talking through that with them. And I really love the concept of the deep canvas is it's less like, well, here are all the reasons why you should vote for this person. And instead it's, you know, well, let's talk through what your feelings are and like what's happening in your life and what, what would be affected, you know, what, what will be affected, um, for you based in, on this election. And so I had the great conversation with a woman a couple uh, weeks ago that, you know, it was just like, she has been like, I don't know, you know, and, and I'm, um, my guess is that she is a 
white privileged woman, which is myself included, right? So like, um, and I think it's a lot easier to get kind of whether, whether right or wrong, right? But like um, lost in the, the politicalness of everything and, and not be able to kind of like take that step back and see like what, what is reality, I guess. But, um, and I think for her, it was just like, well, I have friends that are, you know, Democrat and I have, or, you know, or liberals and I have family that's conservatives and like, I can't have a conversation with either of them because it mm. creates this whole big thing. And so I think that the, the cool thing about these conversations is entering them with very like non-judgmental and like, let's just talk about it. And so to be able to say to her, like, that's what we're, this is what this phone calls for. Like, let's talk through your feelings and let's see where you stand. And then let's, you know, I'll give you my opinion and kind of where I stand and here's some, you know, here's some facts while you're at it. And then, um, you know, kind of see where she's at at the end. So, um, certainly like reminding people to vote. And I think that, you know, I know that, um, you know, for me, it's like, I want people to participate in this system that we have, whether it's a good system or a bad system, like participate in it so that we can put people in place to help change and make it better. Right. Mm. Um, but then to be able to also like affect change in, you know, hopefully the outcome of the election. So it's been a really cool, something that's new to me, um, really kind of getting it, digging into kind of more political side. Oh, that's awesome. And we're grateful for you, like being involved and trying to get more people to participate and be involved. But before we end, I want to end on a lighter note. I have a note here that you skate or participate in roller derbies? What is yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, I uh, play for the Erie Roller Girl. So it's a roller derby league. Um, are like It's part of the um, WFTDA, TDA, which is the Women's Flat Track uh, Roller uh, Derby Association. So it's kind of like a big organizing um, association and actually have been in the news lately because um, they created this, like, I think it's like seven or eight phase process, like getting back to playing. Um, and it's been like recognized by several like big publications on like being the best kind of return to play scenario. And I think that's just, you know, it's like a bunch of women that run it. It's all women. Um, made an awesome plan. (laughs) And then like, right. (laughs) Yes. Imagine that. Right. And I think the other thing cool too, is just like, I mean, everybody that plays, like there are very few like professional skaters, right. So there are people that are are making, you know, livelihoods out of this or like making livelihoods out of like the coaching or training kind of behind the scenes and then skate kind of full time. But, um, like a lot of people, myself included, like we have regular jobs, like we do a nine to five and then go and like beat each other up at night. Um, (laughs) and so like, you know, they kind of reached out and was like, Hey, does anybody have any experience in like epidemiology and virology and, you know, whatever ologies that would make sense in this case. And a bunch of people were like, Oh yeah. Like I have a PhD and whatever. And so like, you get all these women that are like literal experts in this stuff. Wow. To come together and make this return to play plan. And it's very comprehensive and it's, you know, very strict as it should be. And like when we're talking about people's lives. So yeah, um, yeah super cool. Wow. So unfortunately we're not like actively playing right now or, um, and we're kind of doing practice like either like at home, like gym type workouts, but like all virtual trying to like, just keep that team sense or, you know, it's been 
kind of nice in a way um, where we've been practicing outside. And so normally we'd be like still in the mid, well, we'd be wrapping up our season right now. Um, but like all summer, like you don't going to like the skate park is something that nobody really does because you don't want to get hurt because we'll have a, a bout. Um, but since we don't, aren't actively playing, then it's like, oh, well, do you all just want to go to the skate park and learn how to like do tricks uh -huh. <laughs> so we've been doing that all summer? Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a super cool league and, um, you know, it's fun to be part of like an organized sport. I, you know, I played sports in high school, so it's, it's a nice kind of, um, you know, to be a part of a team in a different way. Like certainly we're parts of teams at work and in organizations, but this is just in a different, uh, way and, um, just super uplifting and really supportive organization. Um, obviously, um, it's, you know, it also follows the, like our, our league and the organization, the WFTDA as a whole kind of follow the like radical inclusivity. Um, and so like really just trying to shape those spaces to be as inclusive as possible, which I really love too. So, um, it's been like, I've played for a little over five years now. So it's just something that's just fun and, um, you know, a nice way to like stay active and, but also like create this really cool girl gang. Um, yes. so yeah, it's been super cool. Um, yeah, you can find me on the track as Lucretia Rott. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Lucretia Rott. I'm yeah. definitely gonna... Little nod to our, uh, you know, suffragettes, but yes. <laughs> that's so cool. Well, thank you, Hannah. This has been an awesome time spent together. It was good to see you guys. It was good, good to, to see you, you too. too. I learned a lot too. We have <laughs> Hell yeah. You've been listening to the Our Airy Podcast, the voice of reason in the fog of post-industrial America. Next week, our guest will be Christy Genevis, Democratic candidate for Pennsylvania's 16th Congressional District, to break down her national campaign experience. Continue the conversation on Facebook slash Art Eerie Series. This podcast is produced by John C. Lyon, Marty Wachuku, Ivana Paisley, and Lydia Lay. Funding provided by Eerie Arts and Culture. Music by Corey Cook. We appreciate you for listening to Art Eerie Podcast. Peace.